ask a friend to name people who are truly kind, and they may find it sadly challenging to come up with more than a few. Will your name be among them? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the quality that seems to be in short supply these days, but which Christians are called to live in abundance. Radical kindness is the message David will share after a word of introduction. And thank you for joining us. We are studying Second Peter chapter 1, and uh, this is where we have the promise of God that he has given to us everything we need for life and godliness. Today we're going to talk about kindness. In Second Peter 1, the Lord gives us a series of eight critical character qualities, and brotherly kindness is high on his list. In fact, it is right before the agape love itself term. So today we're going to learn what the Lord expects from us when we live out this life of godliness when it comes to kindness. You know, kindness, I think, used to be more in supply than it is now. We become a me first, get it while you can, grab it at any cost, and don't worry about the other guy. But kindness is such a godlike characteristic that you can almost not be kind and have people think that you're a Christian. When you see acts of kindness, it almost makes you want to say, are you a follower of Christ? Because they just don't seem to exist in many other environments. I hope you're a part of that. I hope you're a part of the kindness a group that keeps that quality alive in the Christian community and in your community, wherever you may live. We'll talk about it today in just a moment. But first, let me just remind you again that there's a special opportunity for you as we get really close to Easter. There's a wonderful Easter book that we created this year just for this Easter celebration. It's called Seasons of Hope, and it's a 25-day reader, which, of course, you can read in any amount of time you'd like, filled with all kinds of great things about the resurrection of Christ, beautifully designed and uh, organized. And uh, it's just like the Seasons of Joy book that came out at Christmas time. You can go to our website and find out all about it. We have a pack of four that you can order, and uh, many people have done that, so they can share copies of this with others. Right now, let's get started with this next particular lesson called Radical Kindness here on Turning Point. Nobody knows you like your mail carrier. (laughs) Floyd Martin delivered the mail on the same route for decades, serving 500 homes. Over the years, he delivered mail packages, good news, bad news, junk mail, large checks, gifts, and special deliveries to all the residents of his route in Marietta, Georgia. But that's not all he delivered. He also delivered smiles and waves and encouraging words and lollipops for the kids on his route. He checked up on the neighbors. He brought the newspapers to the doors for the elderly. He kept an eye open for anything that seemed wrong. He fed treats to the neighborhood dogs and cats. When children on his route graduated from high school, he left $20 in the mailbox. He wept when family members or their pets died. He gave gentle hugs and kind words. And when he came across residents receiving bad news, he identified with them. He would be with them through the whole thing. But of course, he's a human being, and this couldn't go on forever, so finally he announced he was retiring. The neighborhood was distraught to lose their postman. I mean, who has a postman like that? He was not their postman, he was their pastor. 
So on the last day, a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution tagged along with him on his route, and at one house after another, people lined up to wish their mailman farewell. Some of the mailboxes were decorated with flowers, balloons, and signs. And after he delivered his last piece of mail, the neighborhood threw a block party for him. Everybody came to the party to hug this man, pat him on the back, and they did it with cheers and with tears. But the story doesn't end there. At the neighbor's party, they began sharing stories about how Floyd, on social media, someone mentioned the postman, once said he'd like to go to Hawaii. Well, the tweets and posts went viral, and within a week, over $32,000 came in from hundreds of people all over the country, from residents, former residents, families, even total strangers. Then Delta Airlines got in and offered to provide the flights without any cost. Floyd Martin's words to his flock were, Thank you for caring about me. We've gone through good times and bad times together. You were there when I needed you, even if you didn't know it. I love you guys. I say that and I mean it. And that's what the world needs more of right now, is love and caring and compassion and taking care of one another. That's a true story. It didn't happen too long ago. And it sums up exactly the kind of community the world is looking for. And down deep in our hearts, when we hear a story like that, we kind of wish we lived there. We wish we lived in that neighborhood, in that environment. Well, our children, my children, maybe yours, grew up watching a Presbyterian minister named Fred Rogers, whose television program was about such a community. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood gave children a model of what's been called radical kindness. The show's producer, Margie Whitmer, said the success of the show was a bit of a mystery to everyone. You take all the elements that made good television, she said, you do the exact opposite, and you have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> that's brotherly kindness. You take everything you see around you every day, the drama, the arguing, the passions, the anger, the misunderstandings, the tension, and you do exactly the opposite. Wouldn't you want to live in a neighborhood like that? Where you weren't always talking about how bad things were, but how good things were. Well, Peter believed the church should be just like that kind of a neighborhood. Should be a place filled with the attitude of brotherly kindness. And so he adds that to his list of characteristics that we're to develop in our lives. He says we're to add to our godliness brotherly kindness. And Peter knew what he was talking about because he'd been on the other side of that. Peter wasn't necessarily the kindest person you ever met when he first got started with the Lord. And the word Peter uses in the original language of the Greek for brotherly kindness, are you ready for this? It's the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the translation of the words brotherly kindness. That city was called Philadelphia because William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, wanted to establish a city that was characterized by this particular biblical trait. So he chose this name right out of the Bible, to call the city Philadelphia, which translated means the city of brotherly love. As followers of Christ, we are to live up to that name. We are to live up to the name of brotherly kindness. We're to be Philadelphian Christians. Now, sometimes when you read a passage of Scripture, like we have been doing, 
it reminds you of another passage of scripture. And really, my whole methodology with this book and with this series is, I'm really preaching a whole sermon on one word every time I get up here. I preach on godliness or kindness, so you can't do that unless you go to other scriptures. Here's what I've discovered. Every one of these words has a scripture in the New Testament. You just got to find it. When you find it, that scripture is like the commentary on the word that you're trying to understand. And that's true this time. The commentary on the word Philadelphia is found in Ephesians 4, 25 and following. Now, just listen to me because I want to read this to you. And I want you to hear it. This passage of scripture describes what it means to live the Philadelphian Christian life. Here we go. Therefore, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to those who hear it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now I'm going to say something here that will probably be misunderstood by some of you, but you haven't been around the church as long as I have. This is really an important passage of Scripture for Christians to study and understand. Because if you haven't noticed, some Christians are meaner than snakes. <laughs> and they're the meanest people you ever met in your life. So, this passage of Scripture at Ephesians is a come-back-to-often passage. Because it's Paul's seven bullet points about being kind. Each is like a special delivery from the divine postal carrier to your heart. The Bible tells us to forge our friendships with trust, free our relationships from anger, feed those who are hungry, fortify others by our words, flush bitterness out of our spirit, find ways of practicing kindness, and forgive others as Christ forgave you. Man, if you start working on that, it'll change everything. Can you imagine a better definition of what it means to be a Philadelphian Christian? So let's take them one at a time. Here's the first one. Forge your friendships with trust. Paul begins by saying, put away lying. The Lord tells us and speak the truth to your neighbor. We're members one of another. That's what it says. Trust is essential to healthy relationships. I remember reading about Fixer Upper Stars Chip and Joanna Gaines who recently celebrated their 16th anniversary and Joanna wrote a note to their fans saying, 16 years, and it feels like we're just getting started. Years ago, the two met at a Firestone store where Joanna was working, and they hit it off immediately. And Joanna said, at first, I couldn't believe how kind Chip was. He had kind eyes, and he made me laugh a lot. I knew he was the one because I could trust him. Do people know they can trust you? Brotherly kindness begins with a trustworthy spirit. 
with the willingness to be honest and kind. Listen to me, speaking honestly one to another doesn't mean speaking bluntly or brutally. Stormy O'Mardian wrote, I've known people who use the excuse of just being honest to devastate other people with their words. Have you ever known anybody like that? No, I'm just going to tell you the truth this time. As your brother, as your sister, I feel obligated to tell you the truth, and then they just bury you. <laughs> being honest doesn't mean you have to be completely frank. You don't have to go past the point of hurting people. It takes wisdom to know how to balance all of that honesty and kindness. It takes wisdom to know when and where to trust another person. But growing in brotherly kindness means growing in our ability to trust and be trusted. And you can't trust everybody in the world. You know, one of the things I learned when I was sick is I learned who I could trust. Illness or serious issues in your life will sort out your friends. Help you to see who the real friends are and who the others are. I know we can't trust everybody in this world, but you should be trustworthy. Your spouse should be able to trust you. Your neighbors should be able to trust you. The people you work with should be able to trust you. Brotherly kindness begins when we put off falsehood and we stop lying to one another and we're honest, kind people. Forge your friendships with trust. Here's the second one. Free your relationships from anger. Our attitude of brotherly kindness has a way of shoving aside angry tempers that plague us. Here's what Paul said. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Paul wasn't talking here about getting angry at things like traffic. He's talking about getting mad with your neighbor. When you're most tempted to lose your temper, it's often because someone else, perhaps someone you love very much, has done something to irritate you. The Bible doesn't tell us never to be angry. Anger is a natural human response, but it must be governed. It's a dangerous emotion that must be controlled, as volatile as nitroglycerin. And that's why Paul quoted Psalm 4.4 when he said, Be angry and do not sin. You can be angry at things that are wrong in the world. We ought to be angry at things that violate the culture. We ought to be angry at sin. We ought to be angry at people who do evil things. It's right to be angry at things. But we shouldn't be angry at people. Frederick Beekner, who is a writer I have treasured all through my ministry life, said, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Isn't that true? And then he goes on to describe how it's fun. To lick our wounds, to smack our lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation that yet come, to savor the last toothsome morsel both of the pain you are given and the pain you are getting back. In many ways, it's a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is what you're woofing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So when your anger begins to well up in your spirit and it takes control of your life, you may hurt the other person, but you're destroying yourself. Brotherly kindness is the biblical corrective for an angry spirit. Someone said, the more you grow up, the less you blow up. <laughs> Maturity involves learning to control how and when you express your anger. And I always love this little catchphrase. 
It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I've been in marriage conferences where people have said, that's a good thing if you have a spat with your wife or your husband. Just make sure you settle it before you go to bed. I remember hearing about a guy who had been married to the same woman for a long time, and they asked him how he'd been able to manage his marriage all these years. Don't you ever have any fights? Don't you ever get angry? Haven't you ever read in the Bible that it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger? He says, oh yeah, we managed that quite well. And they ask him why. He says, well, I've had several months when I never slept one night. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it takes, right? (laughs) Whatever it takes. We live in an angry world. Most of us know that. Every time you turn around, somebody's angry at you for something, something you didn't even do often. Not God's will for us to live with an angry spirit. You can't be kind and angry at the same time. Growing in brotherly kindness means you're willing to develop the skill of Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives the devil a foothold. Did you read that? If you're wondering how to start dealing with your anger, I recommend a few simple steps. Just memorize Ephesians 4, 26, and 27. That'll help you a lot. Say it out loud until you know it by heart. If you have a problem with anger, take one of those scriptures we talked about and put it in your journal. And then whenever you think about being angry, you can turn to that verse. Or better yet, you can memorize it. The power of God's word is when it saturates our brains is incredible. It becomes overwhelming to see. We just know something from the Word of God. It can keep you from doing stuff you shouldn't do. Then it says, feed somebody who's hungry. Here's another secret to brotherly kindness. He says, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, you have to understand, when this was written, when Paul wrote these words, Christians who first read this letter, they'd come to Christ out of a background of thievery. Many of them were shoplifters and cheaters, even burglars. And Paul is saying that if they stop stealing and instead go to work with their hands, they could earn a livelihood, and then they'd have something of their own to share with other people. And that would give them the transformation in their life, which we call brotherly kindness. What a reversal. Instead of stealing from others, based on this verse, I advise you, says Paul, to work hard so that you won't steal from them, but you can give to them. The Bible says, he who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay him back what he has given. Someone you know come to your mind right now? Just take a moment and think about it. Is anyone in your circle of contacts needing a little extra help? Brotherly kindness says, I'm able to do a bit. When that kind of generosity becomes a constant lifestyle, you're starting to live Ephesians chapter 4. We can't always help them. But once in a while, here's what I pray. Lord God, if I'm supposed to help somebody today, speak to me in my heart. I remember one time Donna and I were talking about this. I had never heard this story. She told me this story. She was at a 7-Eleven store not far from where we live. And in this particular situation, there was a mother there 
with two little children. She had a little sign saying, help me feed my children. So Donna got her stuff and she left and she was on her way home and God spoke to her heart and she turned around and instead of going back to 7-Eleven, she went to the pizza store and she bought a couple of pizzas for those kids. And she went back and she gave the mom uh, some money and she gave those two little girls a pizza. And Donna said, she said, David, I have never seen two little children as hungry as those girls were. And she said, when I stood there and just watched them start on those pizzas, she just broke my heart. Those are the stories that happen when you open your heart to kindness. And so here's what some people will say. Well, I can't take care of all of them, so I'm not going to worry about it. No, if everybody does that, nobody ever gets any care. Just ask the Lord to give you a sensitivity to the people you meet during the day. If he says, help that person, help them. And then leave it up to God for what he wants to do in their lives. The best thing that will happen if you do that is you'll protect your heart from getting cold and indifferent to the needs of people we have everywhere. Little Giselle only weighed one pound and 14 ounces when she was born. Suffering from a consequence of her pregnant mother's drug abuse, she spent three months in the NICU on ventilator support. Her parents were battling addictions and unable to tend to her She was transferred to Franciscan Children's Hospital, tiny and alone. No one ever came to see her. But there was a nurse named Liz Smith who noticed her and felt incredible compassion for her. And she began visiting her regularly. She said, since the moment I met her, there was something behind her striking blue eyes that captured my attention. I felt that I needed to love this child and keep her safe. Liz became a foster mother to Giselle with a view forward that would hopefully reunite her with her birth parents. And when that plan fell through, guess what she did? She volunteered to adopt her. And when Liz and her family and Giselle appeared before the judge to finalize the adoption, he stood up and said, when a judge walks into the room, everyone stands up out of respect. But today, I stand in respect for you, Liz, because you deserve the respect from this room. A birthing day is a miracle, but adopting a child from miles away, that's destiny. And even as Liz adapts to the pressures of being a single mother, Giselle has made tremendous medical strides. She still receives most of her nutrition from a feeding tube, and most of her nutrition is hard for Liz to manage. But she started taking some simple bits of food Liz is doing what the scripture talks about when it says, and add to your godliness, brotherly kindness, Christ-like kindness, radical kindness. Isn't that what it is? That's radical. She didn't know this child, but God birthed in her heart a love for this child, and she followed through. You know, God does that if we open ourselves up to it. We just say, Lord, if there's somebody I should help today, somebody that I should minister today, show me who that is. I stand ready to do it to the best of my ability. So forge your friendships with trust. Don't lie to each other. Free your relationships with anger. Don't be angry one with another. Feed somebody who's hungry. And then fortify other people with your words. There's a good little strategy for your day. I would encourage you to think about those qualities, things you can do based upon the Word of God to develop a life of radical kindness. 
You know, as you get older, you see a lot of older people who become very irritable, very ugly in the way they deal with other people. And I, for a long time, I have prayed in my heart, Lord, don't let me be an ugly old man. Uh, let me be a kind person. Let me grow and be kinder than I've ever been to people that look to me for influence and leadership. What an important prayer for all of us to pray. Lord, help me to be radically kind. We'll have more about that tomorrow. You sure don't want to miss it. On Friday, we're going to talk about selfless love. Next week, we have some other lessons that go along with this series. And uh, we're so grateful that you're part of the Turning Point family. Thank you for your prayers. Don't forget for your gift this month, you can ask for the Mediterranean Sea Rules by Rob Morgan. It's yours for the asking when you send your gift. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Everything You Need, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules. 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. Focus your heart on the hope of the resurrection with Dr. David Jeremiah's classic book called Season of Hope, a celebration of Easter. You'll receive this timeless work when you make a donation of any amount to Turning Point. And when you give $100 or more, you'll receive a special four-pack so you can share Season of Hope with friends who need encouragement. Request your books and learn more when you visit davidjeremiah.ca. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Andrew Carnegie was the American industrialist who made a fortune in the steel industry and then made himself famous by giving most of it away to build libraries and other public facilities around the country. He once said, as I grow older, I pay less attention to what men say. I just watch what they do. The Apostle James had a similar outlook. He said, 
A Christian's good works are a reliable indicator of the genuineness of his faith. Now, it's one thing to say we believe in Jesus, but it's another thing to live like Jesus. Try expressing your faith today without saying a word. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's good works on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.